With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thanks, brother. I appreciate that. Good afternoon, my friend, and thank you so much for tuning in. It's a flat-out beautiful day for a radio program. Have a wonderful St. Patrick's Day weekend. And I think on Sunday, there may be a little thing going on involving NCAA men's basketball that might draw the attention of some of us. Uh, uh, Godspeed to our team uh, as the brackets uh, come out. Just a little bit ago, the president uh, gave uh, remarks related to his decision, (coughs) excuse me, to veto uh, this call by Congress to reject his declaration of emergency. Here in their entirety are the president's remarks. Thank you very much. Earlier today, I spoke with Prime Minister Ardern of New Zealand to express the sorrow of our entire nation following the monstrous terror attacks at two mosques. These sacred places of worship were turned into scenes of evil killing. You've all been seeing what went on. It's a horrible, horrible thing. I told the Prime Minister that the United States is with them all the way, 100 percent, whatever they need. We will be there. New Zealand has been a great friend and partner for many years. Our relationship has never been better. And what they're going through is absolutely terrible. So our hearts are with them and whatever we can do. We're grateful to be joined today by the Vice President. Thank you very much, Mike, for being here. Members of my cabinet, devoted public servants, and angel parents. Very important people to me and to a lot of other people. I want to thank you all for being here. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. Thank you. We've gone through a lot. As we take action to restore our national sovereignty and defend this nation from criminal cartels, human traffickers, and drug smugglers, crime of all kinds coming through our southern border and other places. But this is the place. This is the place we have the biggest problem by far. And I want to also compliment the incredible people at Border Patrol and ICE and law enforcement for the job they've done. They've apprehended so many thousands and thousands of people that if we had the proper protection, we wouldn't even have to apprehend. They wouldn't be coming in. As President, the protection of the nation is my highest duty. Yesterday, Congress passed a dangerous resolution that, if signed into law, would put countless Americans in danger, very grave danger. The Democrat-sponsored resolution would terminate vital border security operations by revoking the national emergency issued last month. It is definitely a national emergency. Rarely have we had such a national emergency. Therefore, to defend the safety and security of all Americans, I will be signing and issuing a formal veto of this reckless resolution. And that's what it was. And I have to, in particular, thank the Republican strong, wonderful people, the Republican senators that were on our side and on the side of border security and on the side of doing what they have to to keep our nation safe. They uh, were very courageous yesterday, and I appreciate that very much. 
Congress's vote to deny the crisis on the southern border is a vote against reality. It's against reality. It is a tremendous national emergency. It is a tremendous crisis. Last month, more than 76,000 illegal migrants arrived at our border. We're on track for a million illegal aliens to rush our borders. People hate the word invasion, but that's what it is. It's an invasion of drugs and criminals and people. We have no idea who they are, but we capture them because border security is so good. But they're put in a very bad position, and we're bursting at the seams, literally bursting at the seams. What Border Patrol is able to do is incredible. I also, by the way, want to thank our military, because our military has been very much involved, as you know. And uh, they're putting up walls, in some cases temporary. In some cases, they were supposed to be temporary. They're so good that they're better than the permanent, so we're leaving them. We've really uh, nowhere left to hold all of the people that we're capturing. And we're at a point where we're just going to have to say, with these horrible uh, decisions that we've been handed by people that aren't living in reality, that there's nothing we can do. There's absolutely nothing we can do. We're bursting at the seams. You can only do so much. And the only option, then, is to release them. But we can't do that either, because when you release them, they come into our society. And in many cases, they're stone-cold criminals. And in many cases, and in some cases, you have killers coming in and murderers coming in, and we're not going to allow that to happen. Just not going to allow it to happen. There has been nearly 2,000 percent increase in border-related asylum claims over the last decade. Part of the reason is because our country is doing so well economically that people are coming up in droves. The vast majority are rejected, but smuggling organizations making a tremendous amount of money like they've never made before are using these people to crash the system. Our immigration system is stretched beyond the breaking point. And as I said, nothing much we can do. We can just do our job and do it well. But there's a point at which, if the Democrats would, would get in, would be able to make a deal. Literally, in 15 minutes, we could make a deal on changing catch and release, changing the horrible asylum laws that are so unfair, changing uh, visa lottery, chain migration. These laws are just horrendous. I won't explain them, but everybody standing behind me knows exactly what they are. They're dangerous for our country, and they're inspired by Democrats who have to change. One in three migrant women is sexually assaulted on the journey north. The border crisis is driving the drug crisis. 70,000 Americans a year are killed by drugs, including meth, heroin, cocaine, and fentanyl. And the 70,000 people is a number that's so low that it probably shouldn't even be used anymore. The mass incursion of illegal aliens, deadly drugs, dangerous weapons, and criminal gang members across our borders has to end. We are bringing out thousands and thousands a year of MS-13 gang members and other gang members that are just as bad, where they come into our country, they're able to skirt the border, come through areas where we don't have proper wall, where we don't have any wall at all. And they get into the country, and they do a lot of damage in many cases, but we get them out by the thousands, and we bring them back or we incarcerate them. The national emergency I declared last month was authorized by Congress under the 1976 
National Emergencies Act. And there haven't been too many that are a bigger emergency than we have right at our own border. Consistent with the law and the legislative process designed by our founders, today I am vetoing this resolution. Congress has the freedom to pass this resolution, and I have the duty to veto it. And I'm very proud to veto it. And I'm very proud, as I said, of a lot of Republican senators that were with me. And I'm also very proud of the House. The Republicans in the House voted overwhelmingly in favor of a secure border. Since 1976, presidents have declared 59 national emergencies. They often involve protecting foreign citizens in far-off lands. Yet Congress has not terminated any of them. Every single one of them is still in existence. And yet, we don't worry about our land. We worry about other people's lands. That's why I say America first, if that's okay. America first. The only emergency Congress voted to revoke was the one to protect our own country. So think of that. With all of the national emergencies, this was the one they don't want to do. And this is the one, perhaps, they should most do. We're joined today by many brave law enforcement officers, including sheriffs and just people that have been just tremendous, tremendous uh, backers of law and order, which we have to have. We're also joined by uh, friends of mine, Marianne Mendoza, Kent Terry, Laura Wilkerson, Sabine Durden, and Steve Ronbeck. And I'm going to ask Steve to say a few words, and uh, I'm going to ask some of the folks behind me to say also a few words as to the importance of what we're doing. There's nothing Down. more important. Uh. As I said, I was elected on a very by a, by a very, very great group of American people. Millions and millions of people, because they want security for our country. And that's what we're going to have. I'd like to ask Secretary Nielsen to say a few words, and then Attorney General Bill Barr. The uh, President of the United States, States will, will, will back out of that. The President of the United States, speaking earlier today from the White House, uh, basically he says there is a national emergency. Um, our border is wide open. There have been many national emergencies declared by many presidents over the last 40 years, and never once has one been turned back except this one. And in this one, it is the United States itself with this influx of unregulated immigration, which is the victim. And he says, I'm going to veto this, and that's the right thing to do. And he didn't get too much into the politics. He didn't slap this one or that one. Uh, but he said, we have an important work. And I made a promise uh, as I ran, and I'm going to work to keep that promise and secure this nation. That was the president. It's time now for Traffic and Weather on 570 WSYR. Welcome back, Troopers. Happy St. Patrick's Day weekend to you. And, of course, happy NCAA uh, uh, Men's Division I uh, bracket uh, weeding uh, weekend. Find that uh, Sunday, of course. Um, here, here's the deal. Tomorrow, there will be far fewer Syracuse police officers at the St. Patrick's Day Parade than is typically the case. Usually, uh, officers are at the parade of their own free will. They march. They work corners. Uh, when working corners, they are paid, uh, obviously. But they march uh, for free, and uh, it is a great opportunity for the community to applaud its police force. And it has been that tradition for a long, long time. 
Well, here's the deal. It turns out that apparently within the police department, there's some pushback against this new chief, Kenton Buckner. He has in a variety of public forums, um, or fora, to say it correctly, um, he has, he's not been critical of the department, but he has been, as he sees it, honest about some bad apples. And he says that 95 to 99% of the family is great, but that there are some people who are not worthy to wear the badge or the uniform, and they disgrace the uh, SPD family. That uh, <coughs> has rocked the boat for some people. Now, here's the deal. When uh, a mayor, like Mayor Ben, brings in uh, an out-of-town police chief whose background is sort of coming in and setting houses in order, you know, that that chief is going to try to set the house in order. Myself... Uh, I I stand in awe of the Syracuse Police Department, and I have high regard for its quality, integrity, and professionalism. But the notion that there may be some uh, in the department who maybe are not worthy of being there, um, that's decidedly possible. And I think that as you look back over recent years, as every now and again a Syracuse police officer uh, runs afoul of the law himself, um, with, with inappropriate behavior, you you typically in their in their own lives, but you see that you know there things could be tightened up a bit, and I think that he has come in, and one of his uh, things is to raise the bar. At any rate, that has fueled some resentment, and apparently, as something of a public statement against Chief Buckner, who has repeatedly said he thinks that there might be a no confidence vote from the union taken in him. Um, tomorrow, most uh, Syracuse police officers are going to boycott the parade. They will not march with the command group in the parade. And uh, instead of volunteering and happily working the corners that they've worked for years on end, uh, many have, have said, I'm not coming. And, and officers are being uh, assigned as part of their paid duties to be there. It's an unfortunate thing. Any action against the parade uh, is an insult to those viewing it, and it, uh, it hurts the relationship with the community. It doesn't do anything to the chief. I think this is um, a foolish choice. I hope that officers will, will choose not to follow it. News, then you on 570 WSYR. Well, that's beautiful music there. Thank you so much, sir. Um, <clears throat> not to be uh, uh, inattentive or off on some other uh, issue, but I'm, of course, while the program is going on. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, looking on the internet, and um, specifically I was looking for uh, books by a fellow, um, just a second, uh, named Eli Parker. And I think I find one here by Syracuse University Press, um, which is uh, um, a good press. Um, second, Eli Parker was an interesting fellow who, uh, he was a Seneca Indian, and uh, he was born over near Buffalo, 
he did some high school in uh, Rochester and uh, ended up going to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, became an, an engineer, and he worked for the, the federal government. And in that stead, he was sent to, oh my gosh, Galesburg, um, Illinois. I should know this. I think it was Galesburg, Illinois, where he uh, made friends and vice versa with a man who was there working for his brother as a clerk in a store, a man who had been um, a, uh, a captain in the United States Army and a, a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point, New York. That clerk's name, this would have been in the 1850s, late 1850s. That man's name was uh, Ulysses S. Uh, Grant. And, uh, it, well, a little thing called the Civil War came up, and there was a reversal of fortunes for a young Mr. Grant, and he was brought back into uh, the military, and he immediately uh, displayed a, a, a tendency to fight. And in the Western half, um, he quickly became a prominent officer and, uh, of course, uh, won the Battle of Vicksburg and a lot of other things, which brought him, I mean, I would just say brought him to the president's attention. Uh, the president knew about Grant long before Vicksburg. But the deal is that as um, uh, Grant uh, be returned to Army service and became successful in that service, his friend Eli Parker, the Seneca Indian from upstate New York, he, Mr. Parker, had wanted to enter the, the military. He, a, a college-educated man, had sought uh, a commission, but um, he couldn't get one uh, because he was a Native American. Now, that wasn't just racial discrimination, though. You know, was that a factor? Could certainly have been. But at that time, um, Native Americans were not citizens of the United States. The sovereign nation status that uh, nations had secured, uh, Indian tribes had secured from George Washington, it, it, that was, it was seen differently then. And it was, yes, you are a sovereign nation and your people are not American citizens. So that l limited some stuff they could do. Anyway, the point is that, um, you know, uh, Grant made it happen and he was able to get a commission for Eli Parker. And then Eli Parker came and essentially spent the war with Grant. And Grant hit the high points of the Civil War. There's no doubt about that. And when at the end of the war uh, at Appomattox Courthouse, there was the surrender of the Army of Northern Virginia by uh, Robert E. Lee. Uh, they, of course, met at that man's house. And it was Lee and a couple of his aides. And it was Grant and a couple of his aides, and uh, one of those aides was Eli Parker, who was by then a lieutenant colonel, um, uh, and uh, again, a Seneca Indian from upstate New York. But uh, they, they went in there, and uh, it was, they discussed the terms for surrender. And a funny deal was, everybody was kind of all jittery and jumpy because of the extraordinary you know, climax to what a heartbreaking bloodletting uh, this had been. We are now going to end this civil war. And as the terms were <coughs> discussed, and if you're familiar with uh, uh, Grant, his initials UNS uh, had been taken by the press and meant to mean unconditional surrender. And that's essentially what was happening here uh, with Lee. But uh, the, the only person who was calm enough to write 
was Eli Parker. And so the actual surrender paper was written uh, at the general dictation of, of, of General Grant by Eli Parker, this Seneca Indian. And um, so the, the, he, uh, Colonel Parker writes out uh, what the two generals had agreed to, and he hands it to um, uh, General Grant, <coughs> excuse me, who signs it and then impresses it with his seal. Uh, and in that paper was handed to uh, General Lee, who likewise signed and, and impressed that. And so the fundamental surrender document uh, of the Civil War was in the hand of the Seneca Indian Eli Parker. Uh, he subsequently became a, uh, uh, a brevet brigadier general, which is like a temporary promotion, uh, but allowed him the rest of his life to be called general. As you no doubt know, when uh, Ulysses Grant, uh, after the war, uh, he became uh, ultimately president of the United States. And he made uh, Eli Grant, check that, Eli Parker, his commissioner of Indian affairs. And that was an interesting and historic uh, sort of choice because, you know, everyone, you know, chooses to live life the way they will. And the the choice of Eli Parker was to, and, and the interesting thing is that as he is progressing in his military service and in his education, uh, Eli Parker, who was also, I don't want to say royal blood because such a thing isn't literally true, but he was of a powerful family in his uh, uh, Seneca <coughs> excuse me, community. And ultimately, uh, in a hereditary type way, he became um, a sachem, a sachem, a, a chief in the Senecas. And uh, he, he provided very powerful leadership to the Senecas, but he saw the culture, the education, the society of what you know might be called white and black America in the 1860s, 1850s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. And he, Eli Parker, thought that that was the better way to go than a more traditional uh, Seneca Native American lifestyle. And so he encouraged mightily uh, upon Native Americans uh, education, uh, uh, fluency in English, uh, the pursuit of, of the trades and professions, and establishing a, a system of, of commerce uh, uh, like the, uh, the society around them uh, had. And so while he was, you know, uh, a commissioner of Indian affairs, it, at the time, uh, it was perceived by many that he uh, helped bring about great progress. Retrospectively, we look back through, you know, politically correct eyes, and uh, today he's not seen, uh, held in as high esteem, you know, that who knows, who even knows about him today, but he was seen as a little bit selling out the Native American preserve my culture thing, uh, but he did help bring prosperity. At any rate, uh, he went on, he left government service, <coughs> went on to live in New York City, became a very successful businessman. He also held uh, various uh, commissioner positions within the uh, New York City Police Department. Those were appointed. It was a Republican town at the time, and he was a big Republican friend of Grant. And, um, you know, he, he, he held a lot of positions, lived a good, a good long life. At any rate, um, I have never read a biography of Eli Parker, but 
if you read about the Civil War era, if you read about, you know, that interregnum, if you will, from after Lincoln up until Teddy Roosevelt, the 1865 till just after 1900. If you read about that era, Eli Parker is everywhere, you know, and he I think but he I think he primarily claimed Batavia uh, over towards Buffalo as his his hometown, if you will. But anyway, I, I've Eli Parker pops up over and over and over again. And again, if you read about the surrender at Appomattox, you know, Eli Parker plays the role. I talked about how he wrote out the instrument of surrender with his own hand. Um, but, uh, as they are standing there, it's, I think, let me see, I think it's five white guys and one, uh, native American. And as they are standing there, it's a little awkward couple, whatever like that, but they've signed the instrument of surrender and, uh, uh Robert E. Lee stands and he turns to Lieutenant Colonel Eli Parker and he says, uh, well, it's, uh, a good to see that there's at least one real American here and, and Lee extends his hand and he and Parker shake hands. And as as he does so, uh, uh, as they do so, Parker says, we are all Americans here, General. And that really became, that was the attitude of at least the Lincoln North, that, you know what, we're all Americans and we got to put this behind us. Um, but anyway, so that's, that I, I've, I've heard a lot about him. And he pops up in a lot of books, but I, I don't ha- I've never read a biography of Eli Parker. So in the news break, I was looking up where his papers are stored. I think they're at the University of Rochester, some of them. Uh, and then I found this uh, Syracuse University biography, Warrior in Two Camps by William H. Armstrong. And I have just uh, uh, purchased a copy for $8.24 at abebooks.com. So while you all were listening to Dave Smith and getting brighter, that's what I, that's that's how I was wasting my time. Time for traffic and weather on 570 WSYR. Welcome back, my friend. Uh, uh, welcome uh, back. Uh, tomorrow is uh, you know when we kick off the big St. Patrick's thing. Actually, there's a dinner tonight and the parade tomorrow, and then uh, Sunday is the day. St. Patrick's Day, you know, I think in the minds of many has turned into a beer drinking holiday and, and you know, that's fine and good and such like that. But it actually celebrates in the uh, uh, old Catholic calendar of saints. And I think St. Patrick may have been removed from that. But in the old Catholic uh, calendar of saints, it celebrated the feast day of the man who legend tells us took Christianity to the people in what today we call Ireland. And uh and that's I admire that Jesus says, you know, uh, it gives the commandment to his followers to uh, feed his sheep and uh, the great charge to take the gospel into all the world. And this man, Patrick, uh, he got about the farthest edge of what could almost be called the uh, uh, Roman kingdom that there was Ireland. And uh, he went to people who then were kind of savage and he uh, uh, taught them about uh, God and, uh, you know, there's that, that shamrock thing. And it, it, the story is that Patrick is there uh, teaching these people, and he wants an object. You know, you, you, like your teacher drew on the board in school, uh, some visual aid. He reached down and he, he plucked uh, a, a leaf of, of the shamrock plant, which I guess grows commonly in Ireland. And it's a, a legume, a little bit like a clover um, or alfalfa. And it, and it, but it has three lobes always. And he held that up and uh, he said this, let this remind you of the father, 
the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, the Father, what's that line? For God so loved the world, that's the Father, God, that he gave his only begotten Son. That's this, this one over here, uh, that whosoever believeth on him might uh, not perish but have everlasting life. And this third uh, lobe here, that's the Holy Ghost that will uh, uh, comfort you, that will whisper to your heart that these things are true. They are a team, and they work together, and they have one purpose and cause, and that is to save your soul. And he always said all those things that preachers will say. Um, But the Irish remember and celebrate uh, St. Patrick, as we pronounce it now, um, because he brought them salvation, as they see it. And if you share a, a Christian view, which I do, um, he, he brought an understanding and a knowledge of Jesus Christ and uh, a way to live and a way to live forever uh, to the people of Ireland. And at the end of the day, that man and his faith and the faith in uh, a, a God above and his redeeming son and his witnessing, comforting Holy Ghost, that's what that shamrock means. So uh, even before green beer, Apparently, this holiday was a a big deal. Uh, Have a little bit of that in your celebration of it. I need to run. God bless you. Keep your chin up. And God bless the United States of America. Weekend assignment is what it always is. Tonight, tomorrow, get out to temple, mosque, or synagogue. Failing that, I hope you'll join me at church on Sunday. And then Monday afternoon, it's you and me back here, 3 to 6, on 570 WSYR. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.